1: So we're cutting in now to bring you a super yacht special, where we have with us today the um, uh, the intrepid explorer Victor Vescovo and uh, Patrick Leahy from Triton Submarines, and uh, in the background we have Kelly, who uh, may or may not be brought into the conversation if we can lure you in. Um, just to explain to our listeners. If you don't already know what the Five Deeps project is, um, well, let me talk about the, the man behind it first of all, Victor Vescovo. Uh, Victor is, I'll go briefly through his, uh, his bio, which is extensive. Victor Vescovo was a retired naval officer, undersea explorer, and a graduate of Stanford University, MIT, as well as Harvard Business School. Uh, in 2013, he retired as a commander in um, from the the, Royal, the American Navy. If me not the Royal Navy, after 20 years of uh, service as an operational intelligence officer, and he served in a variety of roles and did several tours on the USS Nimitz, USS Blue Ridge, and as an intelligence officer instructor at the Naval Aviation Warfighting Development Center also known as the Strike University. Victor's completed um, what's known as the Explorer's Grand Slam, which is he's climbed the seven summits of the seven continents, as well as skiing to the North and South Poles. He's a certified multi-engine jet jet and helicopter pilot, as well as a submarine test pilot. I would just like to say how much I have in common with you, Victor. (laughs) but quite honestly, <laughs> I cannot find one thing. Not even any of the letters of my name appear in your name. That's how far apart we are. We are no, all... You're
2: very kind. <laughs> Just been trying to keep busy.
1: Uh, I've got to redo my uh, Wikipedia profile. Um, <laughs> hopefully it doesn't. nobody scrutinizes it. Uh, we're also joined by Patrick Leahy, who... Uh, has, is the co-founder of the incredible Triton Submarines. Uh, Patrick has over 30 years, I don't want to add years to you because you're still a young man, Patrick, has uh, uh, over 30 years in deep diving, with in, in submersibles. He's been diving since uh, 1975. Uh, but as a commercial diver, underwater experience, has earned him involvement in a diverse range of projects. And... Um, Patrick has participated in the design, the engineering, the manufacture, and the testing of numerous underwater vehicles. And uh, the one we're talking about today is the Limiting Factor, which um, is, I think, the pinnacle of all submersibles. An incredible titanium hulled, multi dive, multi purpose submersible. And we'll be talking about it, its design. And um and how it's performed in the five deeps. Gentlemen and ladies, thank you so much for joining us. I, I I can see through the global media that you guys have been very busy and very much in demand. So welcome to Super Yacht Radio.
0: No, thank you very much for having
1: us. not, not Yeah, sh- thanks for
0: having us. Thanks for the uh, glowing introduction. <laughs> <laughs> as,
1: uh, as I read through it, I was really well searching for something I might have in common with somebody. But um, <laughs> anyway, moving on from that. Um, if I can, Victor, I'd love to start with you. And um, we we were very fortunate. We spoke with you before you went out on the dives. And uh, we got a feel for, you know, you you, you uh, did the, the Grand Slam, climbed the Seven Summits, went to the North and South Pole. And, I don't know, sat in your armchair and thought, where do I go now? And thought, yeah, the five deeps, the, 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 the deepest part of the five uh, oceans. Um, your first dive was to Puerto Rico, the Puerto Rico Trench, if I'm not mistaken.
2: Yes, that was uh, back in December of last year. We went to the bottom of the Atlantic for the first time.
1: Tell me, how did it feel?
3: The very oh, first dive. Uh, just,
1: just that... that, that
2: yeah, that's quick there. It was very difficult because it was the first time we'd ever dived the submarine to such an extreme depth. And it's a, it was a prototype submarine, so we were still working out some issues. But, you know, uh, Patrick and his team did a fantastic job of working out some, some small issues, and we were able to uh, make the descent all the way to... 8,300
1: meters plus. But there must have been... I'm, 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 I guess I'm trying to evoke that that little schoolboy that, that is probably most of us guys of getting to that depth and knowing that you were the first person to actually get to the bottom of it. Um, what was that moment like for you?
2: It was uh, fantastic just because I was so happy uh, that we were able to get to the bottom and so proud of... Patrick and the Triton team for building a sub that could do that. It's the second deepest of the five deeps. So it was a real proving moment for us to get to the bottom. And uh it was it was I was like a little schoolboy, you know, going back to my times just exploring on my bicycle. And I think people are right when they say men really never change just the size and expense of their toys.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's very true. Um and the first step you you've done in each of the trenches um You've taken the first dive by yourself. Is that correct?
2: Yes. Uh, partly, you know, it's uh, it was a prototype submersible, and, you know, I just wanted to make sure that it was completely safe. And because of my ambitions, I didn't want anyone else to, you know, have difficulties, you know, if something went wrong, quite frankly. But I also fly aircraft, and I really just enjoy flying aircraft solo and even a sub. It's just a different experience. You're very much on your own and it's a very peaceful experience it's just something i like to do and patrick has been kind enough to indulge me in it
1: <laughs> well I, I certainly got that feeling when we um we read the reports of the mariana trench w- which we'll speak of later and th- there was a, a a beautiful moment that that i read about where it's it sounded like you you just turned off all the engines you kicked back you opened up your your tuna sandwich if i'm not mistaken And and you just sat there and enjoyed that moment.
2: Yeah, that was something that James Cameron actually suggested that I do. We had a phone call the night before my first dive to the bottom of the Mariana Trench, and he was on the call. Don Walsh, the first person to the bottom of the Mariana Trench, was there. Patrick was there, some other members of the team. And I asked him at the end, you know, what would you do differently, or what would you suggest I do? And he mentioned specifically, he said, just take a moment, take 10 or 15 minutes and just observe where you are. Really appreciate what you're doing. And I did that. And he said that's probably what you will remember most. And he's right.
1: And did he suggest tuna?
2: <laughs> no, that was um, that's my thing. I just feel like it's an appropriate uh, sandwich to have down there.
1: Yeah, it's, it's and it's another first that the deepest tuna <laughs> has ever gone. <laughs> But yeah, like, um, definitely the most sorry? the most
2: exclusive uh, lunch cafe in the world at the bottom <laughs> of the Mariana Trench, So I got to
3: Can I can I mention as well, um we had the pleasure of talking with Rob McCullen from you know the from EOS Expeditions and he said uh, that it was very much an experience of passing the baton. Um that you know the the other two that had been involved previously on on the dive Um, were part of the experience as well
2: they were and you know we had that call the night before we're talking with with, uh james cameron the second person to go to the bottom and don walsh the first was right there unfortunately Mm -hmm. jacques picard uh, who went down with don he's passed away so it really was the first second and third generation of divers to the mariana trench on that call and then the first thing that happened when i came back from my dive was don walsh was there and, and shook my hand and offered me congratulations so it was a wonderful, you know, passing the baton, so to speak. And then, you know, within a couple of days, Patrick went down, and as well as the first British uh, citizen, as well as the first German citizen. So it happened very rapidly that we were able to keep passing the baton to others as well.
1: There was a lovely photograph, I think, of the moment when you came back. And um, what was the name of the chap who, who'd gone down before? Sorry, uh, Captain... John Walsh. John Walsh. John Walsh. And there's a, there's a beautiful photograph where you can just see the expression on his face, as I think he was greeting you, Kevin, come back from the dive. Um, And and it just just summed up the the moment beautifully. Um, Patrick, can I ask you, uh, on that first dive, um, (laughs) how did did you feel? (laughs) How did you feel? Must have been a tense moment, although you You tested. The
0: the first dive in the Mariana Trench when Victor... Uh,
1: Forgive me, in going uh, all
3: the way back to the
1: very first dive to the Puerto Rican trench,
0: yeah. Well, Puerto Rico, as Victor says, was particularly challenging. It was really, although we had done incremental testing to get to that point, this was you know, aside from the Mariana Trench, and I guess the dives we're going to be doing soon in Tonga. This was going to be the deepest of the of the five deeps, and so it, as Victor says, it was a significant test of the sub's capability. And we had been, you know, plagued with the sort of uh, challenges that you uh, that you do have anytime you commission a, a complex and new piece of equipment. So we were. I was extremely pleased and relieved that. We had managed to resolve these issues and successfully, you know, get Victor the first of his five deeps. But I was particularly impressed by the team and how they rallied because 48 hours before, you know, Victor emerged victoriously from that fantastic and historic dive, um, we were, you know, we were right up against it and it was unknown whether we were going to be able to, to pull it all together. But that's how sometimes these projects go. So it was a it was a great moment. I was thrilled beyond words. Uh, embraced Victor as he as he came out of the sub, and just uh, was so proud of what he had just done. And, and remember, one of the things I, I I don't know if people realize it, but you know, Victor had just made a solo dive. It was his very first solo dive in that sub, and he took the sub. You know, to eight thousand three hundred plus meters. You know, it was a, a truly uh, remarkable kind of ballsy, uh, ballsy uh, you know dive.
3: And you also mentioned, you know, this was this was three or four years in in development. It was four years ago, I think you said, where you yeah. two first met. And that's right. In fact, started uh, planning we the out, project.
0: That's right. While we were out in the Mariana uh, Trench doing the dives out there in Challenger Deep we actually passed through the, the four-year anniversary of our first meeting, you know, when we began discussions about Victor's ambitions to to complete this really, and uh, um, you know, this really unusual uh, series of dives. You know, I, I often describe Victor as a serial expeditionist. You have to be careful about how you say that, but uh, <laughs> he certainly is. He's not a guy that's content to sit on the couch with his feet up. He wants to look for that new sort of exhilarating experience and we were pleased to uh, help deliver uh, this one uh, for him.
3: Although um, it's certainly in the past week or two um, you have had all sorts of coverage over the media which is great to see um, because the last one was the deepest dive but the the previous dives had a lot of challenges um, presented to them for on a technical side was there one that was it the deepest that was going to be the biggest challenge or was it particularly looking at the hadal depths or um the from your side where were the biggest challenges
0: well if if you're speaking to me Patrick uh, yeah absolutely each of these trenches has its own unique set of difficulties challenges and impediments, uh, you know, the it's hard to say which was the most difficult because each one is, is so unique. The Southern Ocean, I think, challenged us in, in ways that maybe we hadn't fully prepared for in terms of rough seas, cold temperatures, mm-hmm. uh, strong winds, ice, you know, all kinds of really challenging environmental conditions. And those also impacted the subs' performance too. And then, of course, you know, the other, uh, the deep trenches, uh, the deep trench we just dived in, the Mariana Trench, it, it presented the greatest challenge in terms of yeah. the subs exposure to the extreme pressures that are found uh, in Challenger Deep.
2: It's actually funny, the Indian Ocean, had its own unique difficulty of just getting a government permit, a very <laughs> quiet and frustrating part of this whole expedition, has simply been going through the bureaucracy of trying to do free science that were contributing to the open source community and it has proven remarkably difficult but uh you know in in india indian ocean was actually the most difficult on that dimension it's it's been amusing
1: the 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 bureaucracy was was one of the challenges you faced
2: yeah absolutely just trying to get a permit to dive and uh it's proven that way everywhere it's like we're trying to do something to help science and everyone loves Mm -hmm. talking about you know, doing things to help the ocean and promote science. But when you actually try and apply for permits and get support, it seems to be the natural inclination of bureaucracies to say no.
1: You, you try getting a driving license here in Spain.
3: <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> Equally challenging oh, for bureaucracy. It's
1: taken us nearly a year. Um, <laughs> uh,
3: I, I think that's one of the b- big contributions, though, that... Um, that has been going on in the background because you've had the University of Newcastle on board and you have been collecting a vast amount of data of um, environments that we've never even been able to be exposed to. Um, is it, it must have been a remarkable experience at times of realizing that you have been the first person to... Because, as as Rob was saying, the the clarity of what you were able to see, the the cameras, the visibility, um, has been remarkable. Of what you've been able to collect scientifically.
1: Yeah, what was that like, Victor? When you're down there, well, what what do you actually see? Is it is it Spartan with the odd creature here and there, or is it teeming with life?
2: Well, it reminds me of a bit of the desert. The desert is not a lifeless place. You'll see creatures in you know, the deserts of the American Southwest or something. So at the bottom of the Mariana Trench, it did initially look like a moonscape, but actually fairly rapidly, I saw some uh, variation of a sea cucumber that I thought was a carcass, but it was actually alive and it was crawling around the bottom looking for food. And then I saw a couple of others. I also saw at the bottom of the Serenity, which was in the Mariana Trench, we saw sea anemones. We also saw bacterial mats we saw colonies of multicolored bacteria that were living off of methane, never see the light of day, and yet they're surviving. So while it was a stark and relatively uh, low amount of light, it was there. And these are creatures that are living in 6,000 pounds per square um. inch. They're saying that it's It's amazing.
1: Think our,
0: our yeah, he's saying that pictures. these were animals living uh, at 16,000 PSI, you know, 1,100 bar. Uh, just an extraordinary pressure, and yet these communities of animals are thriving in this environment. They're just quite different from the types of animals that you would see in shallow water. But it is, it's is—it's not a lifeless part of our planet at all. Uh, quite the contrary, there, there are certainly areas of the deep ocean that are thriving, these subduction zones that you have these chemosynthesis colonies, you know, animals that, that are living on chemicals that are coming up from the center of the earth rather than relying on photosynthesis. So it's a completely different uh, you know, ecosystem, but nonetheless a critically important one and, and certainly a very interesting one from a scientific standpoint.
1: Is it a matter of... Oh, of sorry, Victor.
0: Uh, I was going to say, it's
2: just been amazing for us. Every single deep dive that we've done, we have found something unique and new. No one has ever been to these locations. It's been kind of amusing. After every deep dive that we've done, we've had to go back to Wikipedia and correct it because it has the wrong location of the deepest point, or we're finding things that have never been described before. So in a way, here we are in the modern age, the year 2019, and we're doing real exploration. And Who would have thought that that was Really possible, and yet in many ways it's kind of in our own backyard. We just had to develop the technology to access it.
3: And additionally, as well, um, it it hasn't been just marine biology. You've also been mapping out um, the the ocean floor, which really we had a rough idea, but certainly nothing to the specificity specificity, specificity. That, you've, that you've been able to well, achieve. Yeah. <laughs>
2: A good example of that is one reason we're going to the Tonga Trench is that sonar surveys have said that the Tonga Trench is only 100 meters shallower than the Mariana Trench. That's within far less than 1%, but no one really knows for sure. So we're going to go find out, and we're going to be launching landers and doing sonar to find out if the Tonga Trench is actually deeper. I don't think it is, but there's a small chance, and the same thing happened in the Indian Ocean. Before we did the Five Deeps Expedition, there was a debate of whether the Diamantina Trench off of Australia or the Java Trench off Indonesia was deeper. No one really knew for sure. Well, we sent down laners and used our sonar, and we've now killed that issue. And we know it actually is in the Java Trench. And oh, by the way, it was in a place of the Java Trench that no one actually thought was the deepest point. So it's wonderful to do not just marine biology, but also cartography,
0: mm-hmm. which was something I didn't think we'd be doing on this expedition. And an interesting, uh, if I can just add uh, something to that, you know, we had an opportunity when we were in the the Southern Ocean to look at the kind of latest and greatest bathymetry that existed at that time. And, and then you put next to it the bathymetry that we've created using the multi-beam echo sounder system that's fitted to the pressure drop. And it's a little bit like, you know, the Hubble telescope before it got the corrective lenses. I mean, it is a remarkable difference between what we had previously and what we now have. And one of the things that your listeners may not be aware of is Victor, and not only are we creating these uh, very detailed bathymetric charts of these fatal trenches, he's making it available to the scientific community uh, as a sort of gift, and in the hopes that it will encourage others to continue, you know, this legacy of expedition that, that he started.
1: When we spoke before, we had um, uh, Professor Jameson uh, with us as well, <clears throat> and he said one of the things that that um, he'd be looking at was the difference, f- you know, going from trench to trench, to the type of life forms that you find, and in particular to see if. He could find, uh, say, the same kind of life form, but because they were um, separated, uh, have evolved in different ways. Do you know if you came across anything like that or if Professor Jameson has anything like that? Or is know, there yes. so much yeah. to
3: analyze already?
2: <laughs> yeah, it's yes and no. Uh, each trench has had slight different life forms you would imagine that for hundreds of years being isolated there's a little bit of genetic drift Mm -hmm. but we are seeing some life forms particularly at slightly shallower depths like in the 8,000 meter 9,000 meter areas of remarkably similar creatures in in particular there's this one uh, uh fish that actually is all over the world and he now thinks based on this expedition he may be able to prove that it is the most abundant uh life form in the ocean and the reason it's a big discovery is because no one has ever really surveyed the depths like we have before. Everything usually is surveyed at you know 1,000, maybe 3,000 meters, but there's so much life below that. We validate that. But it, what was fascinating for me is we went to the bottom of the Challenger Deep in the Mariana Trench and we saw certain life forms, and then 120 miles away at the Serenity, part of the Mariana Trench, it looked a lot different. I did not see any sea cucumbers. Instead, I saw sea anemones and bacterial mats. So. Even small changes made significant differences in what we found. And we just have scratched the surface.
3: Uh, What did also come up in in the media news was uh, your discovery of what we would prefer not to have in the deepest depths, which was uh, plastic, of course.
2: Yeah, we're not sure what it was. I saw one man-made piece of trash uh, the media went a little bit ahead of itself they said i saw candy wrappers i did not see that i instead saw something that definitely was man-made it had sharp edges I, it might have been a plastic bag of some kind it almost looked like a, a bag for crisps or something like that but i couldn't really tell because it had silt on it but it was unfortunately man-made but i i don't want that one small discovery to overwhelm the news that is that should really be about the technological achievement that we did of all these dives and the science that we've done it's really unfortunate that we found it but given there are seven billion people on this earth and we unfortunately put so much garbage in the ocean it's not completely surprising to me that you'd find at least one particle of trash down there i was actually a little bit encouraged the fact that i only found one piece Hmm. and that was it i didn't
3: I, I you yeah.
0: in know, in, in the Indian Ocean, you know, we did see sort of like a typical kind of plastic shopping bag. But as Victor says, you know, plastic is ubiquitous on our planet, yeah. and no question, it's gonna it's going to be one of our our greatest environmental challenges in the in the 21st century. But as you say, it shouldn't overshadow some of the other uh, significant accomplishments of the of the trip, which are. The technical achievements of the craft and and the incredibly interesting science that's being undertaken the mapping and essentially the opening up of these areas of our ocean which have remained unexplored uh, in in all of human history oh. so it's it's fascinating and exciting and we're so proud to be part of it we've
1: had it a bit upsetting as well that um, and well because we've been following what you've been doing for so long that um, The first thing we see on on mainstream media, if I could call it that, um, was this about, oh, man goes to the deepest part of the ocean and finds a plastic bag and a candy wrapper.
3: But not Uh, all the amazing new life forms uh, you found in the other three or four tracks. You know, guys,
1: there's a lot more you can be writing about um, than focusing on that. So tell me, Patrick, um, from, I mean, the design of the craft would it would I, would I be too far off the mark to say it's it's almost like a hatchet head in in its design and to minimize the downward pressure on it uh it's kind of tapered design um and it's built of titanium um having done the the four or five dives that you've done so far with it obviously you've done multiple dives in each location um is there any rethinking of the design any Improvements that that you might like to bring back to the the drawing board.
0: Well, when any time you build something, you're always thinking of ways that you could make it better. But I'm actually incredibly uh, pleased by how few items that we would change, and some of those changes that we would make are fairly minor and insignificant. They're aimed at as we always, we always strive to make something as simple to operate, as reliable, as easy to maintain as we can. And sometimes operationally, as you, as you begin using the craft, you identify ways you, know, you can improve it in, in those fundamental areas. But in terms of the layout of the craft, you know, its physical size, its weight, uh, the, the way it's shaped and everything else, uh, no, I don't think any of those things would change because they are a fundamental part of how the craft achieves these extraordinary uh, things, you know, the way it's able to get to extreme depth in a short period of time and return equally quickly, the, the way Victor can, can spend these long periods on the bottom um, in, in relative comfort because he's sitting upright in a spacious sphere that has a 1,500 millimeter diameter. Uh, he's it's it's uh and pro- perhaps maybe the the greatest achievement from my perspective as as the builder of the of the Triton thirty six thousand two or the LF was the uh, you know the getting the DNV GL certification of the craft yeah. and having the DNV GL surveyor note on the certificate unlimited diving depth <laughs> uh, It's a huge thing uh, you know we're all so proud of that and it it does I think represent a uh, you know, a quantum leap in in terms of what what we had before and what we now have today, uh, principally because of Victor's vision and his willingness to fund an outrageous project and and or uh, what seemed like an outrageous project that I think is is um, you know really gone extraordinarily well.
1: But that will go can in I, the annals of history.
3: Can I add to it just
1: for the price of that?
3: For people to realize, I mean, when you were, I believe when you were doing the Mariano Trench, it was about four hours down. Victor, you were at the bottom for about four hours, and then you had four hours up, which is 12 hours round trip. And you did that four or five times, which is in itself. um, Well,
2: yeah, the whole team did it five times. I did the first two dives. The first one was four hours on the bottom solo, the second time was three hours on the bottom solo. And then what was interesting is on that second dive, one of our robotic landers actually got trapped on the bottom at the Mariana, at at the Challenger D. And so for our third dive, as kind of a twofer, uh, Patrick (laughs) took down the DNVTL surveyor and they executed the deepest underwater salvage mission in history, where they actually went and found the lander whose battery was draining down rapidly and they actually dislodged him from the bottom. And got that lander back up. So that was an extremely exciting moment for all of us, showing again the versatility of the submersible. And then uh, Patrick did dive number four uh, with the uh, first British citizen in history, which is wonderful to take down at the Challenger Deep. And then I did the fifth dive with Dr. Jameson at the bottom of the Serenity Deep. So within five days, I mean, within 10 days, we did five dives, and there had been only two dives in the previous 59 years, which just shows the durability and repeatability mm. of this amazing system Triton built.
1: Shame you didn't have an Irishman there. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're working on that. Uh, well, I'm sort of Irish. My my, my ancestors were Irish. Uh, oh.
1: Well, I'm an Irish-Egyptian, so you would have got a twofer for that one as well. <laughs>
0: Irish-Irish-Icelander <I>, here. <laughs> oh, d-
1: well done on the Eurovision, by the way. I don't know if you saw that. <laughs>
3: uh, and uh, uh, Can I just say one of the other lovely things um, that Rob said was the... Um, the wonderful sense of team that has been built up with the five deeps team, that there That's was, the there was a, a group, everybody put their, their ideas, the their, egos, their there was no what? egos involved. Everyone was just motivated <laughs> and um, part of this team as, as equal players, um, which I think it was a, a lovely part of the project as well.
0: Yeah. Well, I I couldn't agree with you more about that or agree with Rob more. You know, I've I've spent my life at sea on ships. And it's interesting because there are certain ships where there is an environment that is inclusive and where there's this tremendous sense of camaraderie, uh, this team spirit. And that, that exists in droves aboard Pressure Drop. You know, it's a lovely ship with a great kind of spirit. And, uh, there's no question that everybody on board is pulling for the same objectives. And, and actually you bring up a really important thing. And that is that while, you know, uh, Victor and I were both very fortunate to have had an opportunity to make these dives. There's a whole team of remarkable, hardworking and capable people that, that made it possible for, for that to happen. And, uh, I, I couldn't be more proud of them, and I feel very privileged to have had the opportunity to work with such a fantastic group.
3: Hmm. Um, it, yeah, it was one of the things Rob said that I thought was lovely of, you know, he had the opportunity of, of going down on a dive, and he kind of said, I, "I yes, it would have been fantastically fun, but I didn't want to waste that opportunity. Um when there was someone like Doctor Jameson who could learn so much from that dive. And I think that is it was very telling of the camaraderie that was on board on mm-hmm. this project. He was actually
2: quite correct he was correct on that because when we dove the Serenity for the first hour we weren't frankly finding anything that interesting. And Doctor Jameson had the idea of saying, you know, Victor, let's let's get the sub to a lower depth and let's go for about a couple hundred meters at high speed and just let's survey a brand new area. I went okay, um I just did as he asked and sure enough when we descended again we ended up in this beautiful patch that had all these bacterial mats of different colors that was in many respects a major scientific discovery and we were able to fix our high definition cameras on them get footage that had never been taken. So he's absolutely right. Sometimes you know you really do want to maximize the contributions of the science team to really take us where we need to go. It's not. It's not really a tourist submarine. This is a, hmm. a working research vessel.
1: And can I ask when you when you come across these different life forms, bacteria or uh, the cucumber or whatever, um, the retrieval of them is that done by the landers, or is that done by the sub? You know, do, are you inside the sub? It's
2: a, it's a combination. The submarine is a very perfectly balanced instrument to go up and down. And so, therefore, we can't really load it up with a lot of samples. That's what the landers are for. So the submarine has a manipulator arm that can actually capture things from the bottom. But the idea is that we then take them to the landers and put those in baskets. So it works. they work oh, as okay. a team.
0: They're like the, the pickup trucks. Like, you know, yeah. you throw all the junk in the landers, and the landers bring them back to the surface. And there's all kinds of other equipment on the landers, right? There's... Uh, There's the CTD, there's water sampling devices, which are called Niskin bottles, there's uh, devices for capturing crustaceans, they have baited traps, Um, they have coring devices, all of which are intended to bring up the maximum amount of stuff that the scientists can then later analyze and study, either onboard the laboratory spaces that are aboard the, the pressure drop, or indeed, those back in uh, Newcastle University in their, in their laboratories there.
1: And, and who designed the landers?
0: Well, the landers were a collaboration between Triton submarines and and, and Alan Jameson. You know? So okay. we worked together with him to make sure that we built a lander that had the, the buoyancy characteristics and the electronics that were needed, lighting, cameras, etc. But then we consulted with Al Jameson, Dr. Jameson, to make sure that we had all of the right sort of scientific tools on board to optimize their effectiveness as a, as a scientific instrument.
1: And they performed as you desired? They they did the Extremely
0: job? Extremely well, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, these these landers are diving, you know, every day. You know, while the sub dives every other day, the landers are diving every day. And, uh, you know, Dr. Jameson, you know, who unfortunately is, is not able to join the call today because he's actually out using Landers right now and uh, uh, as the ship makes its way down to Tonga you know they're they're mapping and and you know operating Landers and, and conducting science again all part of this goal to collect all the stuff but uh, he's he's deploying the Landers every day at different depths and trying to get a what's called a vertical transect so you can go from the shallowest areas of the Hadle trench down to the deepest areas and you can kind of get an idea of what different creatures are being found at different depths?
1: Oh, okay, to progressively. In Which, fact,
2: in fact I, I got a text from him this morning. He's uh, in the San Cristobal Trench, and he said that they found the first bioluminescence uh, at at fatal depths. So the first wow. time that he's ever heard a bioluminescence below six thousand meters, and they've got it on film.
3: Wow! Fantastic!
2: Fantastic stuff. Yes.
1: And, and that's normally not found at that depth. Or hasn't been found nope. in that depths up to. Oh, now?
2: it's never
0: been seen. Uh, just because no one goes down this deep.
1: I guess, yeah. yeah.
3: Well, it. Yeah, it's that's actually
0: uh, an interesting uh, fact, or sort of, um, you know, I guess maybe maybe people aren't aware of the fact that the average depth of the ocean is is four thousand meters. That's the average depth, and we tend to focus most of our attention in the in the very shallow areas of the ocean. Um, mm-hmm. you know, one because they're beautiful and they're more easily accessible. But that doesn't mean that there aren't fascinating things in the, in the deeper and more remote parts of our oceans that are harder to see, harder to visit, harder to study. Uh, in fact, the, 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 the area of the ocean that lies from 6,000 to 11,000 meters, the, the so-called, so-called hadal zone, is the area that, that we're focused on with the, with the LF, of course. Uh, that's what it's. That's the area of the ocean it's designed to to visit, and it only represents a, a small area of the ocean, about two percent, I'm told. And people think, oh well, two percent. That's that's nothing. I mean, who cares about that two percent? But that two percent, and I may be wrong about this, but I believe the correct uh, the correct description is that that two percent area is the size of the continental United States. So it's a huge area. It's a vast area, and it's a very difficult area for us to see and to study and and to explore um but the hope is that this new system that that Victor's uh, it allowed us to create this hadal exploration system is allowing us to explore virtually any part of it anywhere in the world now for the first time ever and that's that's the exciting part of this uh, And it's also a,
3: a continuous ex- exploration do you know that there is the attention on the dives but you've been as you said continuously Surveying the whole journey from one dive to the other,
0: the ship is busy.
1: Mm. I think Rob uh, put it in perspective when he said, "Next time you're in an aeroplane going back to Dublin or whatever, so when you get up to cruising speed, look out the window, and that's pretty much as far down as as you go in the sub." Um, yeah. And when when I thought of that, I thought, "Okay, that's a long way down."
2: <laughs> <laughs> it certainly is. Yes, it is. Yeah,
1: the um, no wonder it took four hours to get down there. So, what what trenches are left for you to to dive on on this phase of the expedition? What's your next one, Victor?
2: Well, well, first we um, we're going to the Tonga Trench in a couple of weeks, mm-hmm. second deepest trench in the Pacific Ocean, and then we're headed back to Puerto Rico to do a science dive that we want to replicate something the French did back in the 60s, and then we're going to stop by the Titanic, and then we're going to do a couple of dives there, and then the Molloy Deep in the Arctic in late August to finish up the expedition.
3: So the final dive will be up in the Arctic? In the Arctic, yeah. Yes. So in in some ways after your southern dive, you've tested the challenges of the cold. Um, Hopefully it won't be as rough, I presume. Um, hmm. Water.
2: It'll be, it'll be easier because it's close to a port, Svalbard. So if the weather's bad, unlike the Southern Ocean, we can hang out in a port and wait for the weather to clear. And then the dive site's only about a, a day or day and a half away. And then we can run out there, do the dive, and get back. We couldn't do that in the Southern Ocean, where it was very exposed. It was, hmm. you know, weeks away from anywhere.
1: Uh, uh, what effect do the, the Arctic Ocean, the cold, have on the vessel itself? It
0: was significant.
1: In terms of the fluids um, congealing, or
0: well, perhaps the, the greatest uh, challenge that we faced, and you know, Victor can can certainly elaborate on this from his perspective, was the the impact that the cold temperatures had on our communication systems. We've since made some modifications to to address those concerns, but yeah, you know, we went to a period, an extended period where we had very, very poor communications. We could hear Victor, but Victor could not uh, hear us. And so uh, you know, for those of you who aren't familiar with what that's like, you know, it really ratchets up the anxiety on the surface when when you know that the person in the sub can't hear you and uh, and so on. But uh, anyway, uh, you know, it all worked out, and we've now just dis- determined, what the cause of that was and that is that there are components even components inside the submersible that were being affected by the you know the bone chilling cold I mean Victor was in water temperatures as cold as they get minus 1.6 degrees Celsius which is just 0.2 degrees Celsius above the temperature salt water freezes so Uh, To say it was cold is an understatement. (laughs) Mm.
3: And is it cold, Victor, inside the sub as well? Like, do you really have to have your extra woolies and layers on?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's not as bad as Everest was. But, uh, yeah, we definitely, you know, put on the UGG boots and a hat and gloves even – at the Southern Ocean, but Patrick was kind enough to add uh, small heaters to the capsule on my last series of dives, so that gets it back to the 50s, which was actually quite comfortable. So we keep improving the submersible to make it more habitable, but yeah, it gets a, it gets a little chilly, but not too bad.
1: That's a great that's a great throwback comment. It uh, wasn't as bad as Everest.
3: Not many people can say that, you know. Not
2: many people can say that.
1: No. Wasn't as bad as Everest.
3: And um, um, from your perspective, Victor, not being able to communicate. Uh, up was that a little bit nerve wracking or did you enjoy the quiet? Well,
2: <laughs> uh, it was nerve wracking. You know, you, you, when you're down there and this is only our second major dive, you want to be able to talk to the surface and let them know that you're okay and getting information that you can, because especially when you're doing a solo dive, I mean, <laughs> it got to the point below 4,000 meters. I couldn't um, hear what they were saying. And so I'm literally thinking to myself, okay, Victor, you're in, a, you're in a small titanium ball, 4,000 meters under the ocean in the southern ocean where no one has gone before and you're still going down. You know wh- What about your life choices here? But <laughs> it was exciting and it was fun. And uh, eventually when I came back to 4,000 meters, I could hear them again. And I had, I had warned Patrick that if I had a good sub that was diving well and all that I had in terms of problems was communications, I would keep going down. So, I didn't know they could hear me, but uh, I think they knew that I was probably safe and I'd come back. But it was, there was a little more tension.
1: So, so that yeah, was I the moment you so. thought to yourself, is this a good idea? <laughs> That's what it took.
2: <laughs> <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. But uh, I got over it quickly and kept going down because the sub was so strong. The life mm-hmm. support was good. I was diving safely and uh, and I really didn't want to have
0: to go back there.
3: And could you still, uh, Ed, your and Patrick, see where he was? Did you have?
0: Yes. No. Uh, we had an idea of where he was. You know, our communication systems are actually tied to navigation, so we actually use the uh, the modems on the vehicle for uh, for navigation. Not being able to communicate with him was was difficult, but periodically getting updates from him because you know we have a uh, a rigid sort of schedule that we stick to, which is that we make communications checks every quarter hour. So we would get those comms checks from him and we knew that, that he was okay and that helps to reduce anxiety. But we, we didn't have as good navigation until, he, as you said, he came back up through 4,000 meters, comms were re-established and with it, navigation.
1: And was this because of the water temperature that the acoustic yes. modems were having an issue?
0: That's right. It was actually, it wasn't the acoustic modems which are designed to work in those bone-chilling cold temperatures. It was actually... A a power supply inside the vehicle, which I I think uh, you know. Again, I'm not an electronics expert, but apparently there are some discrete components whose characteristics were changing, and it was opening up what they call the noise floor. So all we were, all Victor was hearing was was noise, uh, because the 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 power supplies in the uh, armrests of the sub. We're so cold. Now we've added a filtering circuit to that. Probably too much information, but Ooh. we've added a filtering circuit to that. That's eliminated it, and we're confident that that will address any future recurrence of that. And we've had great comms since then. Mm-hmm. I mean, for example, in the Challenger Deep, you know, five dives to the, the deepest depths you know in the world, and we had clear communications on on all dives and great navigation. So that was. That was great sort of validation of, of our repairs and also the effectiveness of the system mm-hmm. as it's currently... What
1: was the temperature at the bottom of the... Uh, I keep going to say Ariana Trench, it's Mariana Trench. My, my seven-year-old daughter, we, we were at the din- dinner table and I was briefly telling them about the project and how it was going. And my seven-year-old daughter watches documentaries on YouTube when she should be watching cartoons. And she went, "Oh, Dad, that's the Ariana Trench." I was like, "No, honey, it's the Mariana Trench." She said, "No, it's the Ariana Trench."
3: And it's and it's dude, as, dude. as heavy as having twenty buses, ten whales, um, uh, a whole load more on top of you. She <laughs> and, had the whole stack <laughs> going on. That's good. And, <laughs> and,
1: and, and she knew that. Impressive. And she knew that only two other people had, had tried going down there before.
3: But she couldn't remember their names.
1: Crowd yeah, Daddy. <laughs> but she'll remember Victor's name. We'll make sure of that.
2: It's <laughs> oh, very kind.
1: Um, le- the other thing I, I, I thought was um, a lovely touch to it was um, your, your personal ice axe. <laughs> it's been oh. everywhere with you.
2: Yeah, well, it saved my life a couple of times, but uh, I thought it would be fun to have the first ice axe to go to the summit of mount everest and also and i actually put it outside the submersible so it actually went down to the bottom of the uh challenger deep so it's the first ice axe uh, or tool you know like that to ever go to the top and the bottom of the world Oh, so that was kind of fun
1: it wasn't in a little glass box in the sub with a break here in case nope, of an emergency it was
2: <laughs> yep, no it was. Exactly. And uh, the rest of the crew was joking. It's like, you know, what are you taking an ice axe for, Victor? And I said, well, you never know what you're going to run into down there, you know. So. <laughs> absolutely.
1: <laughs> A giant cucumber. Um, exactly. and what's next, Victor? What are you going to do after this? Where do well, do you, w- w- how do you well, ex- I like to I
2: like to I like to stay focused on the mission. So, we're still going to make, you know, one of the second deepest dives in history down at the Tonga Trench, hopefully, and then after that, we've got you know some wonderful adventures in the Puerto Rican Trench and Titanic. We still have the Malloy deep, so you know Patrick is I think wonderful along with his crew that we don't take anything for granted, and even uh-huh. though we're on the back half of this expedition, every dive is a very, very serious thing. So first things first,
1: stay focused, and we'll that. get
2: that done. but uh. Yeah, but I, I, you know, people have been talking to me about it. And yeah, would I like to go into space one day? Absolutely. And I think that in the next several years, you're going to see not just one but several companies that are going to be able hmm. to offer, you know, adventures going into uh, orbit or beyond. And oh. I think that'd be wonderful.
1: Amazon's uh, Amazon's gearing up for that as well. So you can yep. go, you can go yes, onto Amazon and buy it. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so. Um, well, I, I think that really wraps any more questions for you.
3: I have to say thank you so much. Yeah. There is nothing like um, hearing from the true experience of of what it's like, however much we've been following you. And, and visually, there's some amazing photos of this whole expedition.
1: Uh, one last question. Are they going to name a cucumber after you, Victor?
2: <laughs> no, I, I have no idea. I'll give that up to Dr. Jameson.
3: <laughs> Um, um, but I, I, can I just say, um, I I think the contribution that this expedition, I mean, it sounds fantastic, but the long contribution it has to both our understanding of the oceans, our understanding of marine biology um, and uh, setting the, the pace the path of, of new explorations. You know, we, we've never been able to dive so deep. It's a little bit like the ocean's equivalent to the moon landing.
1: And with such ease you know, as well.
3: We, we had no idea that we could actually land on the moon or get so far into space until this project. We had no idea how deep we could truly get to in the Well, that's if ocean. you believe
1: we went to the moon. That's another program.
2: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it um, is. I feel very... I feel very privileged that I was able to work with Patrick and his amazing team to build a new piece of technology that, you know, pushes our species forward just a little bit, because it's about time, darn it, that we had, have a vehicle that can go to any point on the bottom of the ocean reliably and repeatedly. It was about time. Well, and I, it's, uh, it's been people Patrick that made it happen.
1: Well, it's, it's, you know, people like yourself, Victor, who, who had that dream and, um, who teamed up with uh, people like Patrick who have the ability to put it together and the innovation and work, working together with people like Rob. Um, yep. you made it happen. And it's, it certainly, as Maeve says, it's opened the door to a whole new world of, of repeated exploration with relative ease compared to, uh, what we had before. So huge technology, uh, groundbreaking stuff, um, huge exploration, uh, groundbreaking stuff. Um, an ice axe that probably doesn't know how lucky it is (laughs) and uh, (laughs) and uh, remains just to be very thankful that you could spend some time with us today and and tell us about this incredible project hopefully at the end of the project we'll get another chance to have a a wrap up of the entire adventure
3: although Um, I'm sure it will be nice at a certain point just to be able to um, I'm, I'm not sure if you guys actually ever kick back and and just sit back and watch a ball game. They're kicking but back now, having a relatively with us. <laughs> on the scale, this is <laughs> which is quite a broad scale, um, I'm sure it's been you know it's been a full on couple of months. So it will be wonderful to watch you finish this journey. And thank you so much for your time today. It was such a pleasure to have you both on air with us.
1: And, and thank you, no, thank Kelly, you so much.
0: Yeah, Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to have uh, spoken with you both and thank you for taking the time and having the interest to uh, shed some light on our, our zany adventure.
1: An incredible adventure. Thank you again as uh, Patrick Leahy of Triton Submarine and Victor Vescovo of the Seven Summits, the North Pole, the South Pole and pretty much all of the trenches, a few more to go.
3: And, and the Five Deeps team. And the Five Deeps team. You are all part of. So, thank Incredible you so project. much for your time. It has been such a pleasure to have you here. You have been listening to Supiat Radio as we got the lovely ability to talk with the Five Deeps team and this amazing adventure that they have had.
1: And now it's time to go to some music and then the news at the top of the hour.
0: Thanks, guys.
2: Okay. <laughs> thank you all very much.
3: Thank you.
1: Thank you, Victor. Hi, Kelly. Thank, thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Have a good
3: one.